I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Time for the seventh inning stretch. As always, I'm your host, Armando Angulo. And as always, I am joined by my very good friend and co-host, Justin Wells. We got a lot to get into, an exciting time in postseason baseball. The LCSs are going on, and it's about getting to crunch time, getting close to that World Series and the pinnacle of what baseball is. Uh, Justin, how are you feeling? Um, it's been a couple of good series. The Indians have uh, proven to have a leg up on the Blue Jays, but you know there's a lot to play for still. Toronto is uh, in the midst of uh, you know possibly winning Game Four. Uh, how, how is this? How, and then the Dodger Cubs series has been phenomenal. Uh, the split one game, but but I know we're going to touch on the LDS still. We're still going to touch on all that. Justin, how are you feeling about uh, baseball almost coming to an end first and foremost? It's making me a little bit bittersweet, and it's also the fact that we're going to be left solely with stories of Kurt Schilling running for Senate in the off season for a bit. That's gonna, you know, that's gonna drive me insane. Um, if anybody hasn't seen that, uh, he of the bloody sock, not to be confused with Trevor Bauer of the bloody finger, which we'll talk about later, uh, is it has announced he will be running for Senate in the bluest of possible states, despite the fact that he is the reddest of possible men. Uh, I, I give Kurt Schilling a lot of crap on this podcast, and he's deserved all of it. I concur 100%, my friend. Uh, but let's touch on the LDS, man. Um, let's start with the what happened in the, with Cleveland, Boston. Um, I know we wanted to talk, touch on something that's kind of uh, revolutionary as far as you know the modern game and how it's evolved, and that's using your best reliever not in the ninth, but in the most uh, difficult of positions. Yeah, the, the highest leverage spots. Andrew Miller uh, has been used by Cleveland pretty much every place but getting saves. Uh, I really like it. I, I really do. I mean, not every single – not the, the ninth inning isn't always by nature the the, the most high leverage outs that you're possibly going to get. So you want to get the outs that you need to in order to get to the ninth inning. Like I, I think that there's been a premium in baseball placed on thinking the last three outs are always going to be the hardest to get. So you might need your best relief arm to do that, but I would like to see a study about you know where where games are blown more often than not. I'm willing to bet it's in the seventh and eighth inning more than the ninth inning. And no, I- sure, people, it's because closers typically are better pitchers than you know than every than the rest of your bullpen. But it can't be that it, the the it, the the difference between your average closer and your average setup man can't be that stark. No, I concur, man. I concur 100%. I think far too often we live in this fantasy world. And, you know, it's a copycat league, man. So when the closer developed and everybody said, oh, the ninth, it doesn't mean it was the most efficient thing. But, you know, if you lose games and everybody's doing it, then fuck it. You can't be, you know, held accountable. You can't be pointed a finger at because that's, you know, the status quo in the game. But it doesn't necessarily, like you said, make it right or make it, the you know, the highest leverage situation in a game. We often, especially in this postseason, have seen managers take into account what the what the, you know the score is how important the, the you know the guys in the lineup are hitting and we saw that in, in you know in both series in, with, with the Indians and, and, and the Red Sox and then the Dodgers and the Cubs and 
for me, it's it's hats it's hats off to Tito and hats off to Dave Roberts because uh, just for having you know the, the balls to do that because it's hard to go against the grain and something and it's easy if that doesn't work for you to just you know get chewed out in media and uh, we're not seeing that we're seeing it succeed we're seeing them be uh, making really good decisions and they're paying off. Oh, they absolutely are. Now, I, the, what I want to really talk about because I thought a much ballsier move than the Indians using Andrew Miller wherever, just because of the fact that the back end of the Indians bullpen and the entire Indians bullpen all season has been incredibly shut down, was Dave Roberts, who's had a a really, really good bullpen uh, throughout the the season. Uh, You know, rides Dayton one time too many in the seventh inning of game five of the NLDS, possibly one of the best innings at baseball and perhaps the craziest inning of baseball I've watched in a long, long time. I can't say ever because I'm pretty sure I've seen something more nuts, but this was, this was up there as far as entertainment value. Uh, Dayton gives up a two run homer to Heisey, can't record the outs. And he brings Kenley Jansen in into a really hairy situation. Jansen proceeds to get out of the inning and get Anthony Rendon swinging with the bases loaded in a in a bat that I thought was going to give me a heart attack, and I'm not even a fan of either of these teams. How did you feel during that point in time, Armando? I was a mess, man. Uh, I was excited. I thought, you know, we were texting back and forth, and I was really uh, – I thought it was the right move. I thought Kenley Jansen in that position – it is what it is, man. You got to win uh, – Dayton, like you said, really didn't go out and do his job. He really just got shellacked, and it, it was something that was very disappointing. I was surprised, actually, to see him on the LCS roster there afterwards. But um, for me, it was really nerve-wracking, man, because it's something that I'm not used to. It's something that we really haven't done with Kenley, not only not this year but ever. And, uh, you know, he had 50 pitches. He gave me 51, and and uh, he really he really did the job. He closed the door in those, in those two innings, and uh, two and a third, and he made it happen. I think it's really important to – to, to give him credit as much as Dave Roberts and then give Clayton Kershaw credit to coming in and closing the game because, you know, for, for these ball players sometimes they could be prima donna, sometimes they could be me first and not team first, or they're so accustomed to having a role and, and being so specified and doing that 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 uh, they don't really want to pitch in that in, 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 whenever you want them to. They're the ninth inning man, and, and I actually heard Bobby Valentine uh, on the radio not too long ago talking about this after that series and saying that, there was sometimes when he was on the Mets that there was he you know he didn't use names or anything but that there was a pitcher that that uh, had a good year and and um and, and the following season you know t, uh, he was being used by Bobby in, in 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 a variety of ways and then the following season the agent came to him and said you know what we're not going to do this we're only going to give one inning and Bobby said that's fine but I control that inning and I think that's very important that the manager has that control and that these players don't get to dictate when they come into the game ultimately they're high paid assets but. It's a team game. Baseball is the ultimate team game, and it's very important to, to you know to, to sacrifice some things for for the team, especially in these situations and in, when it's win or go home. and And the Dodgers have been here before, and it's a little bit. I think they're feeling a little bit of uh, of sense of urgency. Like this is the window might not be there forever, and and then you know Clayton's been a revelation this 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 time around. Very stark contrast to what we've seen before from him in the postseason. Uh, I like what I'm seeing from my scrappy Dodgers. It's no different than what we've seen all year long and what Dave Roberts has done. I just think he's, uh, you know, taking it a step further and being a little bit more creative and, you know, just throwing it out there, seeing what sticks and really not holding anything back. Like Buck Walter, we saw him not use the best pitcher in baseball. Guy had .56 ERA and didn't get into the game. And Wait, best pitcher in baseball? He, he didn't use a relief pitcher coming who was in the, in the midst okay, of the, the best season ever. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, statistically, ERA-wise, best ERA ever for a season. Uh, so... You know, and that bit him in the butt. And uh, I think Dave Roberts and and Tito in that regard, it's kind of learned from that. And and Tito's been doing this for a little bit. So it's it's nice to see. But I think Dave Roberts said, you know what, that's not going to be me. I'm going to use all the bullets in the chamber and I'm going to leave it all out there. And hopefully we can uh, come out on top. And that's exactly how it panned out. And I couldn't be happier, man. Yeah, uh, I I uh, I sort of share that sentiment just because, you know, necessarily want to see your arch rivals. Which in the National League East, the concept of an arch rival, because none of the five teams in that division have ever been good at the same time, is you know it's it's something transient. I guess the closest thing you really have is the Mets and the Braves, but I don't particularly like this Nationals team for a variety of reasons, uh, namely Bryce Harper. But uh, 
I, I, I don't know that I've ever made that clear enough. But um, <laughs> but the fact is, they they still haven't won. A, they their team that's also their window is weird because they do have Harper, who right now is a giant question mark as far as what you're going to get out of him because you're either going to get that ridiculous historical season that he put up two season two seasons ago, or you get the tremendous inconsistency that he put up this season. But have you seen a Dusty Bakering more than the seventh inning of that Dusty Bakering? Six pitchers. Six pitchers to get through a half inning. Yeah, and uh, it, I couldn't I, – I, I didn't even know how to feel about that because I get it. You want to put play the, play the odds or, or play the percentages, and you have analytics in this, that, and the third. But we've seen uh, Dusty Baker in the past tinker too much and or not tinker enough at times in the past, in the postseason. Uh, and we've seen him not be able to succeed in the postseason time and time again. And I think it's something to do with Dusty Baker, actually. Uh, when when uh, when Clayton uh, got Javi Baez to fly out, or no, 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 I'm sorry. Um, when 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 uh, when Clay- Kenley Jansen got the outs and stuff, you just saw it on, on, on Dusty Baker's face. His face said everything, like, oh, here we go again. And I think that's the narrative with Dusty Baker is he's not really winning the big games. He's a very experienced manager, and he's a good manager. You can't, you can't discredit him on that. But in the postseason, I think he overthinks things sometimes. I don't think he trusts his players as much. I think if you're making six pitching changes in an inning, you clearly don't trust your relievers. Yeah, well, I mean, he's, you know, you're talking about these – this postseason reputation that he's developed, he's uh, he's zero eight in elimination games. And there you go. And those are the ones that count, my friend. Yeah, those are the, those are the ones that are why everybody's going to say that Dusty Baker is a very good manager, but not a great manager. Because you can't fault Dusty Baker for a lot of what he's done in his career. He's a great people manager. He righted what looked like a very toxic mix in that national club Nationals clubhouse. Like of all the things you could have heard and said about the Nats this year. The one thing that you basically can't pull out of that is that their their clubhouse was a mess. Under right, Matt and that's Williams, a absolutely stark mess. contrast. Absolutely yeah, they were stark a contrast. Team. Yeah, and I mean that's what you expect from Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker is a good manager, like we said, but he's proven time and again that in the big moments, whether whether it's him or it's his guys, I mean Dusty Baker's not throwing a pitch and he's not hitting. But if you're making six moves in an inning, man. For me, that's tinkering a little too much. That's not having faith in your guys, having faith in your defense, and, and being able to get outs. I mean, I know the the postseason is a different beast, man, and you play out by out, and everything is magnified to, to the nth degree, right? But you got to go with your guns that got you there. You still have to have faith in the guys that did the business for 162. You know what I mean? And, and, and he didn't do that. I, didn't, I don't feel like he did that. No, I mean, if, if you want the total evidence of that, the Nationals are paying uh, Max Scherzer $210 million bucks, and at the first sign of adversity, and only 99 pitches, a solo homer to Jock Peterson, who, you know what, regardless of how good you are, Jock Peterson's in a, kind of an all-or-nothing swinger. Every so often, he's going to put one over a wall against you. He did that to Scherzer. It wasn't necessarily a sign that Scherzer was tiring. He was at 99 pitches. Like Scherzer can go deeper than 99 pitches in a win or go home game. That's where you. That's where he really has to trust his staff more. He's been, he's always he, been bad with starting pitchers. Yeah, and Scherzer was in fu mode up until there. And, I and, mean, he was he was mowing us down, and and his like we discussed his fu mode is probably one one of if not the most impressive you know switch ons in baseball when he's on. Max Scherzer is damn near unhittable. Jock ran into one, but I agree with you 100%. You have to give him a little bit longer reign. He was dominating us up until that point. Jock got one over on him, and that was it. Dusty Baker was rattled. He doesn't have it anymore. I'm sure – I'm not positive, but I don't know if this series pans out the way it does if Max Scherzer stays in for another inning. I I don't know that it does either. I don't, but – you know what? That that's why they let Dusty Baker make those managerial decisions, and the Washington Nationals are now playing golf, much to my chagrin. Yes, yes. <laughs> now, oh, there's one other thing I want to talk about in this particular series as it relates to the Dodgers, uh, specifically Clayton Kershaw, which was he got shelled in the seventh inning of both these games, and it brought back a uh, you know Clayton Kershaw now no longer known as is seen as a choke artist because of the fact that he has delivered for his team in big spots, uh, unlike a certain other expensive pitcher who pitches in Boston, whose name I won't mention. But uh, Clayton Kershaw, had you know, his, his ERA in the seventh inning in playoff games has been extremely high. And outside, I think, maybe game four of the Mets series last year, 
he hasn't gotten very deep into a lot of postseason games. Uh, both of the games he pitched in the Nat series, seventh inning was his bugbear. Now, pitching on short rest in game four, it probably didn't help him there. But we saw it on Sunday night in game two of the Cubs series, Clayton Kershaw destroying another miss. Yeah, that Clayton Kershaw against the Cubs in Game 2, man, was what we've come to expect during the regular season and what we probably expected to see, you know, years past in the postseason, but it just hasn't been the case. He really was sharp. He was really on top of his game. He was really focused. Um, The team played well. Uh, You know, there were some moments where in the 8th, you know, he was having a tough time with his his command and stuff, and, and Javi Baez was coming up, and... And, uh, you know, Dave Roberts went out to talk to him and he said, no, I could get him. I could get him. He got him to fly out to the track. So my heart was, you know, in my throat, but he did the job. And that, I think, is the difference between Dave Roberts right now and Dusty Baker is that Dave Roberts knows his horse, trusts his horse and says, you know what, big guy, you say you can do this, go do this. He trusted him with the ninth, with, with the last two outs, you know, in game five of the uh, of the LDS and then to to go out there in game two and give us what he did. And, and you know, and Adrian Gonzalez hitting that early home run really, it made it to where I think I felt like we would be in the game. I didn't know if we would be able to shut them out because, in all honesty, the Cubs, 103 wins, you know, their offense hasn't exactly been lights out, but a run isn't too much to ask for out of them, especially under the circumstances. Uh, I was really impressed by him. I was really, really happy for him because, uh, like you said, uh, there has been a bit of a rhetoric that he is, you know, a choke artist who can't deliver when it matters the most. And uh, that's complete farce. We've seen, you know, now that he's actually coming into his own and really carrying this team. And him and Kenley Jansen deserve so much credit this postseason because, they've really proven to be leaders of this ball club. And I think the most surprising there is Kenley Jansen. For us, Kenley Jansen, uh, as a fan, he's soft-spoken, doesn't say much. But this postseason, we've seen what the team means to him, what winning a championship means to him. And I think this has a lot to do with Dave Roberts as well. We didn't see that under Mattingly. We didn't see Mattingly go outside the box or trust his guys that much. We didn't see that really under Joe Torre. Dave Roberts is fresh blood. He He's his new school mentality as far as managing is concerned. He's doing it his way. And by all means, man, long may it continue because he's really doing a great job. And I think uh, this series is going to be a big, big test for us. But if we can get by this and, and finally get back to a World Series then uh, and get that pennant, Dave Roberts, for me, possibly, you know, in my lifetime, the, 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 the best Dodger manager that we've seen, even after one season. Because, I mean, aside from Tom of the Sword, obviously. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a, you know. Get a Hall of Famer. Ahead right, of right. Aside from Tom Lasorda. But after that, we've really struggled to have a consistent good manager for a long time. I mean, Joe Torre's proven or whatever, but he didn't do it for us. He didn't deliver for us. And Don Mattingly, we saw in recent years, be terrible. And he's terrible in Miami. And uh, so this is refreshing. We, I think the front office made an excellent choice with him. I think it, they they were deliberate. They were well thought out. They they they. They knew that he was the right man. And uh, another thing I want to touch on is, is, you know, the LDS was the first time two African-American or two minority managers managed a series uh, in the postseason that's, against each other. That's, and that's that is positive. That is phenomenal. Phenomenal, my friend. Uh, it, it shows progress. It, I'm proud of my team for for being one that is employing, you know, a minority manager and, and they, he's proven to be worth every penny and, and really proven to be a sharp, sharp baseball mind. Not that anybody doubted him, but he had, didn't have much experience and he's just proving to show, you know, his worth. And, and I'm, I'm so, I couldn't be happier for him as a player. I loved him when he was on the Dodgers, you know, as a player, I really enjoyed him even on the Red Sox and his career because the way he played is the way he manages and uh, always hard, always going hard, always trying to do and play the game the right way. And for me, I couldn't be happier with our choice, man. And I think that in the long term, this could potentially bring us a ring. If not this year, I could see it happening sooner than later because I think he's the right man for the job. Yeah, Roberts is starting to look like one of those managers who I, I tend to break up. Let me let me frame, frame this so everybody understands kind of my, my thought process here. I tend to group managers in three different tiers, three different segments. Right? I think there are certain managers who will make their team perform below their talent level. Uh, you know, and for instance, there we can use a, a manager who I would point out who did this has been probably Robin Ventura in Chicago. Uh, I, don't, I feel harsh on saying it about Chip Hale, but you could say it about Chip Hale in Arizona. 
Uh, effectively, a player who a manager who gets less out of the team than he should. I think there are managers who get exactly the talent level of their team out of their team. Those examples of that would be John Farrell, Terry, Terry Collins, Dusty Baker. And then you have your managers who get more out of their team than you'd expect. And, you know, the three guys I think of that come to mind right there when I think of that tier are uh, Jeff Bannister, Joe Madden, and I think Dave Roberts is going to get himself into that uh, particular segment of manager. Yeah, and that's that's uh, that's great company to be with. I think uh, you know Bannister, like you said, doesn't get enough credit for what he's doing sometimes in in Texas. But um, yeah, and Joe Madden. I mean, he won 103 games in Chicago. That team has been built to win, and 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 you can't take anything away from them. But I think under the circumstances and everything else, Dave Roberts this year has been just phenomenal. And and you're, yeah, he he deserves to be in that conversation, and and deserves to be known as somebody that uh, makes the most out of a situation and can really. Over deliver, you know what I mean? Yeah, I wish there was a I wish there was a metric for tracking this because one of the things that Major League Baseball doesn't have a great hold of is as far as statistically quantifying things is you can statistically quantify any play that happens in a baseball game, but I don't feel like they statistically quantify managerial decisions in that same manner, right? Because if you can if you can if you can attribute like a certain value to a player, like, you know, for instance, how many wins over replacement are you worth? There has to be a similar way to kind of track that about a manager, right? There has to be. Yeah, yeah, there has to be. Yeah. I don't know if anybody's keeping that, but there there absolutely has to be, yeah. Yeah. If anybody listening to this actually is able to knows anything about that, I'd be intrigued. Uh please please uh make sure to find uh us via Twitter and, and bring this to our attention because it's something that we probably would really be interested to read. Absolutely, please do if you if you have that type of information. Uh, I would love to read up on that and 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 really know how that works and and really know where Dave Roberts stands. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so going back now into the the National League Championship Series, uh, there, there's one player that you mentioned earlier, the man who hit the eighth inning warning track ball off of uh, Clayton Kershaw, who's really kind of stepped out stepped out in this uh, in this uh, postseason. Javi Baez. That guy is a he, he's a strange yet intriguing baseball player. Yeah, he is. And uh, for me, Javi Baez, I think you know Joe Madden really loves Javi Baez the way he plays the game. Uh, during the season, he was asked like, you, I mean, we saw Chris Bryant move around, we saw Zobris move around, and we saw Javi Baez play third, play play second. And uh, Joe Madden's logic there is. You know, it's all analytics for Joe Madden. So he's sitting there and, and in an interview, he says, I want the ball. I want Javi Baez playing wherever the balls hit the most. And that just shows the confidence he has in him defensively. We've seen how good he is defensively. We've seen the power he has. Javi Baez, if he can put it together on a consistent basis, is, is a special talent, my friend. Yeah, special, special ball player. He's kind of like Daniel Murphy with the ability to run the bases and field the ball. Yeah, yeah. No, he's a great, great ball player. I think, uh, I mean, I think we've been hearing a lot about him. You know, Jorge Soler. The Cubs have had some Latin names out there that that we've been talking about for quite some time. They just haven't really been able to put it together completely on a consistent basis. And I'm not saying he's doing that still, especially with the bat. He still, uh, you know, strikes out quite a bit. But in this playoffs, he's been a little bit of a revelation. We're uh, seeing a little, a little bit different Javi Baez. We're seeing a more refined, more focused, more confident Javi Baez. He's the most interesting man in baseball he's not but i mean you get the point <laughs> no absolutely man he's definitely worth the discussion and uh i can see why joe matt really 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 does like him and make sure that he figures out a way to get him in the lineup not just offensively but for that glove man he see he is almost second to none defensively uh with that with that leather because he he can play multiple infield positions and and, and look like he's been playing there for 10 years and really ha- he has great re- reflexes great reactions a great arm he's he's really really a treat to watch man yeah the only one he's not going to play with any regularity is going to be short because of the fact that Addison Russell's just kind of amazing yeah exactly well not with the bat and not recently no, no, not with the bat, but defensively, Addison Russell is amazing. With the bat, there's uh, a there's a consistency issue there. Yeah, the man that start uh, the man that started over Corey Seager in the All Star game. That guy. Well, you know, they were stuffing the ballot box. Yeah, I get it, but that's why I think sometimes I'm not saying the fan vote shouldn't count. The fan vote should count, but it should only be a percentage of the votes. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, Addison Russell right now in the postseason. 
basically is the equivalent of a of a, a giant hole in your lineup. Yeah, yeah. His 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 slash line is a zero is a point forty five point eighty seven point one thirty two. Oh my god, that's that is. God awful numbers, bro. For anybody, yeah, for anybody who doesn't quite know what a slash line is, average on base percentage at OPS. OPS is just on base plus slugging. I'm oh, sorry, actually, no, it's a zero four. No, I, I went wrong with the slash. Slash is slash is average on base slugging. His slugging percentage and his average are the same. Um, he hasn't walked. He has one hit in 22 at bats. Uh, yeah, he's he's not been good. A lot of the Cubs hitters haven't been good in the postseason. We've been watching them scuffle, and I think that's what's giving. I mean. We saw how good the Cubs were during the regular season. We split the series four games to three. Uh, I think this is a very even series. We saw it, but I think what's giving us good, uh, you know, new life is we, we we got to steal one in Chicago, man, and and we get to play three at home, and, and 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 they're not hitting. They're just not hitting, and it's not like you said. It's not just Addison Russell. Uh, no, Anthony Rizzo, Rizzo, Rizzo's at a Riz- point forty three. Jason Hayward has been atrocious. Jason all season. Hayward's been yeah all season. I was gonna say if you're just isolating him in the playoffs. It's it, it's um you know that's a different spot. Chris Bryant, on the other hand, is the only one. Chris Bryant, Javi Baez are the two of these guys hitting. Yeah, and I mean Chris Baez is the MVP of the league. So, yeah, Chris Bryant is yeah. Chris Bryant's great. Yes, yes, he really is. I mean, I, you know, I was looking at his numbers today, and then I didn't think he was that that close to hitting three hundred. The man's hit the man hit three nine uh, two ninety eight. Yeah, on the season. Yeah, and the only I'm, thing he has to do is cut down on the strikeouts, which I don't know that he ever will, just because of the fact that the way in which the uh, the game is played, you're going to go with, uh, you know, you're going to go with the power option ahead of the uh, ahead of the non power option. I mean, bro, if you're hitting two ninety eight with forty bombs, you strike out as much as you want. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you're still hitting three hundred, and you're getting on base. Your on base percentage is great. He has a decent eye. I think Chris Bryant is is. is, is has proven to be every bit the hype that we expected him to be. And, uh, yeah, well-deserved of that MVP. So tonight, 8 o'clock, uh, eight o'clock Eastern, Game 3, uh, pick of the hill for Chicago is Jake Arrieta. His last start in Los Angeles, uh, I believe it was last season, right? Or did he pitch there this year? No, I believe it was last season, yes. It was yes. the no-hitter, right? Yes, it was. We sent him that mound, too, because we're classy like that. I, I don't think anybody should send Jake Arrieta anything, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> and he's going up against Rich Hill, who's uh, struggled this postseason. So a definite pitching advantage to the Cubs in that one. Um, the the thing I'm more intrigued with is actually as far as the Dodgers pitching is actually it's not so much to see how Hill's going to handle this one because I think he's uh, he's got enough experience I think to know what to you know change what's not working. It's going to be Game Four. How much of a leash does uh, Julio Urias really have? Um, I think if he starts off, uh, and, and commands a strike zone, like he does, like, like we've seen him be able to do, uh, we saw him coming in relief during the NLDS, you know, and he did a good job, uh, that, that, that says a lot of a 20 year old kid. So I think if Julio Urias can go out there and give me six solid innings and maybe keep him to one or two runs and keep us in the ball game, that's more than I can ask for him. But he's very, very, very capable of that. Um, so for me, I'm excited to see it. I don't think we've seen enough of him in this postseason. I think we should have probably saw him start one of the, the one of the uh, one of the hill starts. But it is what it is, man. He, he he came out and he was ready when we called upon him in the in the uh, out of the bullpen and he did his job. Uh, I think he's ready. I think the moment won't be too big for him. I think Game Four is going to be, you know, if we can win today and he can keep us in the ball game tomorrow, that's going to make a very very interesting going forward. I think that. Uh, Julio Urias has all the talent in the world. It's just whether, you know, he can put it together on that night. And I think he has every bit to do it, especially at home, especially with the Cubs scuffling a little bit. And, uh, I mean, tonight Jason Hayward's out of the lineup for Solaire. I don't know if I like that or not. But, um, you know, they, it shows that Joe Madden is, is concerned. And uh, I think that our pitchers have enough, and Julio Urias is a piece of that. I think he he has enough talent to do it. Your concern is always with a young pitcher that uh, the nerves might get to him or whatever, but he already got a little taste of the postseason in a big spot. He did well, um, and uh, he's proven all year that the moment isn't too big for him. I just don't know how long he can give us in the game, but if you give me six innings, I'll be more than happy with that, man. Yeah, I mean, and there's also the other thing to bring up, which is they have nobody else to start that game anyway. Right, which is kind of disappointing. I mean, 
we spent money on pitching. We we have uh you know Ryu in the past. We've had guys and they Brandon McCarthy. Um, Scott Casimir. Uh, I mean Scott. Yeah, Scott Casimir. Uh, what what uh, the left Brett Anderson. Uh, so we, we, we're definitely struggling there, man. But if Julio Diaz can go out there and do his job, and I'm not asking for a shutout. I'm not asking for 10Ks. I'm not asking for anything, man. I'm just asking for the kid to go out there, command the strike zone, get ahead in the count, and let the fielders do their job. And I think if that's the case, then we have a good chance in game four as well, man. Yeah, I mean, realistically, all you need from him is 15 to 18 outs. Yes, sir. That's really it. That would be more than more. I would be over the moon with that. Now uh, let's let's shift gears uh, to the American League, where the the matchup was set at the time we recorded last week. Uh, Cleveland have gone out and taken the first three games in this series. We're currently in the eighth inning of Game Four, with Toronto looking like they will stave off elimination for for today. Um, this is the one where actually the the best pitching matchup of the two uh, between uh, Corey Kluber and Aaron Sanchez and Aaron Sanchez, but. Didn't didn't quite work out that way, at least for uh, for Kluber, who labored early and couldn't get very deep into the game. And Aaron Sanchez, uh, you know, he can't work deep into games right now because that's just the way in which the Blue Jays are trying to uh, manage the rest of his career. Yeah, um, I think the game today, uh, you know, it's not the Indians shouldn't be concerned. I think they, they they did their job, man. They won they won the two at home. They took one in Toronto, even if they lose, you know. Uh, I mean, even if they lose the next one in Toronto as well, they go back home with two chances to eliminate the Blue Jays at home. And that's, you know, you can't ask for more than that, man. Um, the pitching has been phenomenal. Like you said, Kluber wasn't exactly the sharpest today, uh, but but that's OK. I mean, pitching on the road, it's it's late in the season. Stuff happens like this, man. It's He wasn't terrible. I mean, he gave up, what, two runs? It's two two runs. Uh, oh, two runs. Over. The only the issue there was. He only got through five innings because he really labored. He, he was living with he was living with a lot of base runners today. Yeah, no, no, I can understand that, man. And yeah, he labored completely. But but if you could still give me five innings when you're not the sharpest and only give up two runs, I'm be- I, I can't argue. I, I can't be unhappy with that. You know what I mean? That that's a pitcher that even though he knows he doesn't have his best stuff tonight, he's going to battle and he's going to give you and keep you in the ball game. And I think that uh, it was a gutsy performance. I mean, ultimately the Blue Jays broke it open later on in the game, but. Um, yeah, I, I'm not too concerned about it. I think the Indians still probably are going to, you know, wrap this up. If not in, in, in game five, then then in, I think they'll do it in six at home. Now, the question here is, do you think that the days off between the Texas series and this Cleveland series, uh, Cleveland having to obviously, well, Cleveland actually played, they both swept their series on the same day. But uh, do you think that the days off, considering the fact that the Jays were the team that was just on fire with the bats, really seems to have conspired against them? Yes, I have to say yes. I think bats, the, you know, offensively, it's easier to get out of a rhythm. Um, and, and if you guys are hot, you know, the last thing you want to do is have a break in play. Um, we see it in the All-Star game all the time. You know, during the All-Star break, teams go in there hot or players go in there swinging the bat really well. They come back from the break, second half doesn't really get off to a hot start. They start to scuffle and then it becomes a mental thing and then it, it, it drags on. And we've seen this time and time again, man. I think ultimately, you know, hitters – are that way, you know, if they're hot and, and, and the team feeds off of that, if one guy's doing well and they, you see the pitchers on the ropes, they all feed on that in the lineup like the Blue Jays, you don't want them to get into that situation, right? Um, so I do think that the days off really did affect them. I think that the Indians, uh, because they're more pitching, you know, rely more on pitching, that uh, the breakup and play and the, the, the time off really benefited them. It allowed them to set up their rotation. It allowed them to make sure that the, all their guys were, you know, all their ducks were in a row. And I think that, the, you know, I, I'm a big fan of pitching. I think pitching will get you farther than hitting every day of the week. So um, I really do think that Cleveland set themselves up uh, for better position, especially not just the way the roster is built, but because of the time off, I do think it affected the Blue Jays terribly. I, I- Fully agree with you. Now, the other thing that's come into the fore here is the fact that my favorite Blue Jay of them all, uh, Jose Bautista, uh, jo- sorry, Joey Bautista, not a, <laughs> I, 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 just uh, for everybody knows, I'm not a huge fan of his. Uh, he went out and immediately, you know, went to the press basically complaining that the umpiring in the series is, has been extremely one-sided and that Cleveland's getting the benefit of it. Uh, I haven't seen anything that really indicates that. Neither of these teams are hitting, so... I don't exactly see it as if 
the the umpires are are favoring Cleveland to a point where it's actually influencing the games. I wouldn't say that either, man. I think uh, you know they were really upset um, in Cleveland because they felt that the umpire was giving their pitch uh, Cleveland's pitchers a couple of inches off the plate and and really giving them an outside uh, zone. I think it was Las Diaz, to be honest. Um, and ultimately, for me, is uh, you know, as a hitter, you shouldn't have to acclimate to. An, we've discussed this, you know. As a hitter, you shouldn't have to acclimate to every umpire strike zone. Uh, as a pitcher, of course, you're going to take advantage of the extra inches. The thing there is, uh, umpires tend to have a bias on pitchers that have a reputation for throwing strikes. So the Indians have that reputation of being a good pitching ball club. So I think sometimes umpires can be a little more lenient with the strike zone and, and expand it a little more for guys uh, that consistently hit that strike zone. And I think that early on in the series, I do think that that, whether it's, it's I mean, it's part of the game, Justin. It's always been in the fabric of the game, right? The umpire and, and, and balls and strikes. So it's not really an excuse, but... The fact that the Blue Jays allowed that to really irk them to the level that they did has cost them dearly. It's cost them severely, man. It's, and and, and uh, the Indians are capitalizing completely on that, and they're going to continue to do that. If if you're going to give me two inches off the plate, you're going to Greg Maddox it, bro. You're going to take the two inches and try for three. Yeah, well, I mean, I happen to think that this Jays team needs to stop worrying about every possible distraction they can. I mean, what was it? A few weeks ago, they were more annoyed with the media than they were with the Red Sox when they were trying to get that, when they were, you know, they, they were talking about media members that they were boycotting instead of concentrating game, concentrating on, you know, games down the stretch to try to get into the playoffs. Then you have this distraction with, with, uh, with, you know, Joey Batista. I mean, they just, they need to kind of just suck it up and play and play baseball. And to be perfectly honest, that just that, that propensity for distraction, uh, I, I think it falls solely in one place. It's John Gibbons. He needs to get control of the team. You just answered my question, man. I was going to ask you: Do you think that falls on these players who are professionals, all of them veterans for the for the most part, if not a hundred percent veterans of the game, who have uh, a lot of them have been here before with the Blue Jays, if not with other ball clubs? Do you think that – I was going to ask you, do you think it solely falls on Gibbons or do you think that actually there's a, a little bit of share of the blame here because I think these players should be experienced enough to not allow this to, to get under their skin so much, man. I, I, I get it. I get it. He has to get control of his ball club. I get that 100%, man. I'm not arguing with that. But ultimately, as adults, as grown men, you should take that responsibility on yourself as a ball club. You know what I mean? You guys have to police yourself. If somebody's getting you know mopey and stuff – the other man should pick him up and be like, hey, dude, come on. A lot of ball game left to play. Still in this series. Let's do it. I think they just hang in their heads. Woe is me. And it's disappointing to see, man, because I thought the Blue Jays were definitely going to have a little bit more fight than this. But I I fully agree with you, man. Look at the core of this team. Joey Batista, 35. Josh Donaldson, 30. Uh, Juan Encarnacion, 34. Troy Tulowitzki, 30. Russell Martin, I think he's 32. Michael Saunders, I believe he's 29. I mean, those are basically outside uh, Kevin Pillar, uh, every single position player who's seeing playing time every single day is not just a veteran, but a veteran on the other side of 30 who's been around for a while who knows that they have a shot at winning a World Series. What the hell is wrong with these guys? Yeah, I don't get it, man. I don't get it. I don't understand what what they want handed to them or what they feel entitled is to them or whatever, but they are definitely acting like prima donnas and divas. And uh, under the circumstances and the position that you're in to be able to get to a World Series, this is not the time. This is not the place. you got to pick each other up. you got to pick yourself up from the bootstraps and fight. And I don't see that in the Blue Jays. I don't see that camaraderie. I don't see that that want to succeed for the next guy in line. And, and, and in Cleveland – we're seeing the polar opposite of what we're seeing in Toronto. They're so excited to play together. They're so excited to have this opportunity. They are picking each other up. It's a different guy every night doing the business. Um, it's sort and- of a, it's sort of a different guy every night because the reality is, every single day, regardless if it's offense, defense, base hitting, base running in the field, Francisco Lindor makes one or two plays that are that you just sit there and stare at and you're like, wow. This kid's really good. Oh, absolutely, man. But it's not a one-man show. Absolutely not. But I agree with you. Francisco Lindor is a special talent, and he has proven himself to be that this October. He is uh, definitely showing, uh, you know, how good of a ball player he is. And and I'm looking forward to seeing him for many, many years to come. The, the 
I, I just, I just, I just think that offensively and the way this team is built, they're not necessarily, you know, going to outscore you all the time. They're not necessarily going to put up big runs, but in this series, they have had some big hits from multiple people to get them ahead and to really close these games out. And 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 a lot has to do with Andrew Miller coming in and, and then putting out fires in very important spots. Tito Francona hasn't really made a mistake this entire series. I think. There's a lot to be said for that, and they're really playing it as a team for manager all the way down. I think that what Cleveland is showing is showing that, uh, you know, the sum of its parts is greater than, you know, the individuals. And the Blue Jays are not really uh, coming together as a team, as we, we probably saw against Toronto. We saw them smiling. We saw them happy. And now it's just, you know, woe weighs me. And, and you can't come into the postseason and ever, ever have that mindset because there's no way in hell you're going to come back from a tough position if you're always if you're going to be in a negative mind state it's not going to happen bro yeah and also front running doesn't really help you i mean you need to know how to come back we saw it last year this happened this happened in toronto last year they played against a royals team which you know i i have nothing but respect for that royals team despite the fact that you know they 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 ruined a, a fall for me um because of the fact that they they were a team that just didn't quit and they i mean they were death by a million paper cuts and it was a terrible way to see your team lose because you could see it happen. But instead of the home run, which is ripping the Band-Aid off, they do it with 15 straight singles, which is painful. But that's that's something the Jays don't have in them. They don't seem to just have that fight that you say, we've gone down in this game, we need to come back. Like, if, if, they're, if they don't hit, get out in front like they did today, they don't win. Exactly. And it, it, that's what I mean, man. Like, like you said, it's the front runner mentality. We've seen in this playoffs, man, the teams that are really going at it and really look like they have a really good chance. The Indians, the Dodgers, the Cubs have been this way throughout the season. I know the Cubs have won a lot of ball games and been ahead a lot, but they also show that type of grit. They also show the ability to come back from games, win a closed game. Uh, and then you don't win 103 games in a season if, if you don't. And uh, the Dodgers have proven that as well. And I just think the the India I mean the 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 Blue Jays are the oddball right now and 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 uh, that's not good that's not good in this in, in this type of year uh, I mean at this time of the year you got to really go out there and you really got to just just pick each other up man I mean it, it's it's hard I get it but ultimately dude this is your chance and you don't know when you're going to be back and and to just mope you're just giving away your opportunity man and and it's disappointing to see for me it's just disappointing to see any team get this far just to capitulate in this manner and to not have and to have little to no pride in the way they're doing it. Yeah, I mean, I would like to see the I'd like to see the Jays come back into this a little bit, just because of the fact that you know it, it makes for a better series. I, ideally, for me, both as a neutral observer, um, you know, my, my my overall tendency is to want is to want to see Cleveland win, just because of the fact that you know I I don't want to particularly see the Cubs or Dodgers win before the Mets do, but I have no problem with it because of the fact that I don't live in Chicago or Los Angeles. They're not division rivals. I'd like to see Cleveland get there just because of the fact they've been a downtrodden franchise. Uh, the Jays, on the other hand, they've just they, they've presented themselves as entirely unlikable. Um, but I want to go to talk about Andrew Miller because we, we mentioned him briefly, but we, we this, this guy deserves his due. Uh, thus far in the postseason, he's appeared in five games, pitched nine innings, He's given up four hits, two walks, and in those nine innings, he struck out twenty, which is uh, which uh, basically I shouldn't say basically. It's uh, with a save and three holds works out to a .67 WHIP, and the ERA is still perfect. Uh, what is it about him that makes him so good? It's his selflessness, man. It's his ability to adapt to any situation, to say, give me the ball when you need me. It's his ability to have confidence in his stuff and know that he's going to go out there and do the job. He knows that he is the guy that is going to keep his team in the ball game when the chips are you know, out on the wall and, and, and everything's stacked against you and your back's against the wall and we really need you to come through. Andrew Miller has been that guy. And for me, that's what impresses me, man. It, it, it's the, the fact that he has such great stuff is one thing, but the fact that his mental makeup and his ability to adapt to any situation, to go in there and say, Tito, whatever you need me, let's do it. Uh, that's a rarity. And uh, I think it shows a lot what, what the team means to him and also uh, what this run means to him. And, and, and old, I, 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 I'm very impressed by it. Uh, the pitching itself, has, it speaks for itself, uh, Justin. He's been phenomenal. Like you said, the numbers speak for themselves. And uh, I don't see that changing anytime. I think that Andrew Miller is – we're going to see a lot of copycats in the years to come of the Andrew in the Andrew Miller mold. 
Yeah, the only thing that makes Andrew Miller's season seem slightly less um, impressive is Zach Britton's season. Now, it, it, it sucks that I'm thinking about it that way because I should be able to just look at what he did and just think about it. It's like, wow, you know what? That's That, that in and of itself is unreal. Um, he actually probably should get a few Cy Young votes, now that, especially now that I'm looking at his full season numbers. 74 innings pitched, 10-1 uh, record. Win loss, twelve saves, wow. twenty six holds, and in those seventy four innings, a hundred and twenty three strikeouts, a point six nine whip. This guy is an absolute monster. I know we don't have these stats, like honest, dude, but I would like to know how many pitchers have won ten games, had ten saves, and have had twenty holds in a season. Uh, there's probably not very many. Yeah, if any. The only guy I could think of that might have done that at some point in his career is probably either. Gossage or Eckersley are the two that I can think of. I'm going to look that up, and next week we'll talk about that because I think that, uh, like you said, what he's doing and those numbers that you just read off uh, for the listener shows that uh, this might be a one-off season that we might not ever see again, man, the way he's being used. Either that or we're going to see the game revolutionalized and the bullpen revolutionalized again, and go, we're going to go back to seeing pitchers pitch uh, when they're needed as opposed to you're the seventh-inning guy, you're my eighth-inning guy, you're my lefty specialist, and you're my ninth-inning guy. It gets so redundant, bro, and I'm very, very. it's very refreshing to see managers and players be willing to adapt to the situation and put team first. And uh, I mean, Andrew Miller is going to get paid. He he's gets paid really well, right? Uh, but as a closer, you expect people to make so much more money and then the ego comes. And for him, it's like, dude, just pay me. It doesn't matter. Whenever you need to use me, let's do it. And I, I commend him for that, man, because in this modern times, in this modern game, and in modern sports in general, we don't see that type of selflessness nearly enough. No, especially also considering the fact that you look at the team that gave him the contract he has. When have you ever seen someone not be able to get an extra few million bucks out of the New York Yankees? No, you're right. You're right. Now, uh, before before we close, uh, there, there's two there's two brief odds and ends to discuss. The first of which is Tony Larusa has been reassigned within the Diamondbacks organization. Oh, uh, I didn't even hear this. Yeah, Go ahead, tell me. He's been he's been given a new position. It's been undefined. They haven't fired him. And it basically looks like Tony Larissa has been neutered. He said undefined. Undefined. Oh, man. The best thing I saw about it was effectively someone tweeting, this is Tony Larissa's new desk, and it was a picture of Milton in the basement in office space. Oh, and God I, bless. I, That's hilarious. Yeah, that, that, made, that made me feel good about things because, you know, the only person who would ever who would ever use more relievers in, in an inning that Dusty used in, in uh, the seventh inning in game five is Larissa, and he would only do it just to top Dusty. <laughs> you're 100% spot on man actually since I've been traveling you know man I've been in Boston I'm in Boston now I'm, I'm doing this I hadn't heard any of that I have I haven't been able to read up on, on what's going on outside of the LCS and, and, and the playoffs um I am like you probably uh very happy for the Diamondbacks because I'm sure that wasn't an easy decision with as much clout as um Tony Larusa has in the baseball world but it's one that needed to be made. It's not Dave Stewart. It's not. Uh, it's not the manager. It's. It's. It's definitely goes from the top down, and and it, you know, undefined role is probably what he deserves. Yeah, I mean, basically, this is the lifetime achievement award he receives, which is you don't get fired from your last job in baseball. You can quit which you, when you want. Yeah, and hopefully sooner than later, they say. Yeah, I don't think he deserves that, but that's just me. That's just my thought about it. And then finally, for the last word, we just want to wish Joanna Cespedes a very happy thirty-first birthday. Absolutely, man. Happy birthday, yo. Uh, you make a lot of Mets ha- fans happy, bro. And, uh, I, you know, my brother's one, you're one. And I think uh, with a healthy yo, you guys always have a chance, man. And he's he's been the, you know, without yo, you guys don't get to the World Series last year. And uh, it, it says a lot about him. And it, it's, it's nice to see him resign. When he resigned with you guys, it was nice. So he's committed to the Mets. He's, he, he sees something in you guys. He loves New York. And and happy birthday, yo. You deserve it, man. Yeah, don't add that of your contract, please. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think he will. I, I, th- I think, I think he will. It's just too much money. But I think, I think that the Mets still have a good shot of keeping him. That said, that broke our moratorium of, of the exact last exactly a week of not talking about the New York Mets. I just, you know, to, I just wanted to wish him a happy birthday. We've done this many times. We say we're not going to talk about something. Kurt Schilling is one that's one, and you know we break that rule almost I've weekly never as well. Said I won't talk about Kurt Schilling. That's a lie. I'm going to look it up, and we are going to play it, and I'm going to play it on the next podcast. What? Okay. 
All right. Well, then I might talk about Kirk Schilling. <laughs> but uh, that, that's it from us this week. Uh, you know, you've gotten yourself the East Coast edition of the seventh inning stretch finally being recorded in the same time zone. Uh, we, we wish all of our listeners a, a you know a good week and uh, let's uh, let's watch some more postseason baseball. Absolutely, go Dodgers! on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.